This podcast is brought to you by Brunner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit lizbrunner.com and take your skills to the next level. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. It has been said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. My guest believes successful beauty is the confidence in knowing we look our best 24-7. Greta Monahan is a self-made style maven who's built a multi-million dollar fashion and beauty empire. She is also on a mission to share her very personal breast cancer story. As this show is published here in the United States, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Greta, welcome to my podcast and thank you for being here today to continue to raise awareness about breast cancer. And also we'll talk a little fashion too. How's that sound? (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I couldn't be happier and more honored to be with you. I admire you so much and I love being here on your podcast. Well, thank you for saying yes. I mean, you and I have crossed paths a number of times till we're finally able to do this. You were diagnosed back in May of 2019. So I I have to ask, how are you doing today? Thank goodness. I can tell you I'm doing so well, better than ever. It's like many of us uh, survivors, we're counting the years until we get to that benchmark of five. And that's sort of what we're going towards. I'm almost there. And every single year that I celebrate a birthday or Christmas, I celebrate bigger, bolder, louder than the year before. As you should. Take us back to that day, though, when that cancer was first discovered. What happened? I was in the office for my annual mammogram. And I remember looking in the mirror and taking a deep breath and thinking, okay, you know, I'm doing what we need to be doing and and this is my health and these appointments always stink, but here we are and we're going to go for it. I went in and I was with my radiologist, Dr. Susan Drossman, who I have a, a wonderful rapport with and she has been my doctor for years. So she's very familiar with, you know, my body and my breast tissue. So the mammography took probably two or three times to take images of my breasts. I had stepped out and the radiologist, her assistant had me come back in quite normal because I have dense breasts. So it often took more than one time to get images, check them with the doctor, and then take some other angles to make sure that they were very thorough and had seen everything. So by the time I stepped into her office, I had had that a couple of times, a couple of different images. She said, you look great, lay down. When you have dense breasts, I don't know if you've experienced this, but we are often advised to get ultrasound done. That was the step two of my visit was to have a breast ultrasound. She started to roll the ultrasound wand up and down and around my breast on the right. And then she moved to the left side and then she stopped and she said, okay, I don't like what I see. So Mm. I'm going to ask you to roll over a bit more so I can get a closer look. Right then and there, Liz, I lost my breath a little bit. I know my doctor. It's very different if you don't know your radiologist, you're not really used to their cues or what have you. But I just know she's a very straight shooter and very experienced, so she wouldn't say that if there wasn't a little area. 
I did not think breast cancer. I just thought perhaps cysts or something that might have needed further investigation, but I didn't want to jump to conclusions. Mm. And then she took her passes and she said there was three areas. She asked me to look towards the screen. She pointed out exactly what she referred to as lesions. And she said, I will need to biopsy these three areas. I'll need to do it right away. So I'd like you to clear your schedule. I'm going to make sure that we work you in. Mm. I was able to have a scheduled biopsy done in her office. And within 48 hours, she called both my husband and I at home and said, I'm so sorry you have breast cancer. Wow. I can't even imagine what that moment must have been like for you. And your doctors all recommended only need to remove the left breast, but you chose to remove both of them. How did you come to that decision? I explored a lot of this with women who had breast cancer. I called them up and said, how was your experience? I'm very nervous. I'm nervous to keep my right breast. What should I be thinking of? Can you share? And through organizations that I had already been supporting and been involved with, thanks to my clients and friends and family in Boston, I had this incredible network that I could go to right away. And that was the network that helped to inform me and share really make it clear to me that I had options. I had options and I had decisions to make that would be my own. So in the end of all of that, I just came to the decision. It was not easy. It took a lot of time, believe it or not, and and focus. But I came to the decision that the additional surveillance that I would need to commit to, which would be four mammograms a year and ultrasounds on my right breast, I felt in my heart of hearts that for me, I needed to have both my breasts removed. Wow. So that was the decision I went forward with. And eventually the pathology did reveal that you did have cancer, not only in the left breast, but in the right breast as well. Clearly you made the right decision for you with that bilateral mastectomy. What was your treatment protocol after that surgery? So the treatment protocol after I had the double mastectomy originally was supposed to be surgery and then tamoxifen. Mm. The early pathological findings were that it was a hormone-positive breast cancer, which is very common, that it was a low grade, which was not aggressive, and that the best course of treatment would be the pill that you take for five years. Most women take it for five. Sometimes now it's being recommended for 10, and that would actually help to reduce the rest of the estrogen in your body so that, you know, you'd be reducing recurrence risk. After my full pathology came back, they actually discovered that I had a second type of breast cancer called HER2. Mm. It was HER2 positive, the cell that they located post-pathology that was not picked up in the earlier biopsies. And that required chemo, changed everything, turned all of my treatment on its head. It was going to be chemo possibly radiation and tamoxifen therapy and immune therapy, which is called Herceptin. What I say to women now is this is cancer. You can't predict. And thank God that we have all of these incredible, the research, the scientists, Mm -hmm. especially in Boston and beyond, that are constantly working on life-saving treatments, such as the one which is called Herceptin. This treatment was specifically actually discovered and approved 15 years ago for HER2. Prior to that, if you were diagnosed with HER2, Liz, you had a really grim 
high chance Mm -hmm. of reoccurrence. So I was one of the extremely lucky cases that it was both discovered late in my treatment and post pathology and also that I was able to treat it with such a meaningful treatment. What's so interesting is you just talked about the treatments and they truly have improved for breast cancer, but the statistics are still startling. According to the CDC, other than skin cancer, breast cancer is the most common cancer among American women. And every year in the U.S., about 240,000 cases of breast cancer are diagnosed in women. About 2,100 cases are diagnosed in men, and there's not a lot of talk about that. About 42,000 women and 500 men in the United States die every single year from breast cancer, and black women have a higher rate of death from breast cancer than all other women. Those numbers are absolutely startling. I have to ask, was there a history of breast cancer of any kind in your family? So the interesting thing is there was no family history. I had all of my genetics done, which I want to just shout out by this opportunity on your show. Please ask your doctor, no matter what your profile, what your family history, to always do genetics. The genetics now are baseline for everyone, but most important for us women. And even in the genetic profile, the genetic testing that I did, Liz, during that time, right as I was diagnosed, there was no family history. What I can tell you, though, what actually happened in reality was the next year, Every single female cousin that I have in our family on the mother's side, all were diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. So it's almost like the genetic tests that I took, they couldn't even be a predictor for what actually happened. And that still gives me chills to tell you today. And I tell it not because it's my story, but I want to make that impact for you and for your listeners, how important it is that we keep up and that we're always a step ahead of our tests, our diagnostics, and all of our healthcare appointments have to be. Well, cancer doesn't just affect the patient. As you just talked about, it affects the whole family in many, many different ways. And it also affects one's mental health. And your beautiful son, Kai, your oldest son, asked you one day, mommy, are you going to die? How did you handle that? How do you manage the fear that comes along with that? That question made me realize that his life has changed forever. No matter how much I tried to protect him, no matter how much I hid as I was, you know, hid, I was with him, but I was trying to not obviously show a child the gruesome reality of what breast cancer does to a body and the removal of body parts that are diseased and what that entails. As much of that as you can possibly protect, you will, but it doesn't matter. Your family, your husband, your children, your friends, your community, everyone's going through it with you. That is impactful. And yes, that is the most frightening moment. And when your child asks that of you, I think we as mothers are very stoic. We are pre-wired with this incredible survival and protective instinct that goes beyond even nurturing ourselves. And at that moment, you know, I looked him in the face and I knew it was for my, I needed to hear it too. I said, I am not going to die. I'm going to be here for you. And yes, I understand what you've seen and what we are going through, but I am determined to get well. I have incredible doctors and they are going to take care of me and we are going to beat cancer together as a family. He was eight going on nine at the time. So just trying to grasp it at 50 for me, trying to imagine how this all looked and felt for him 
was something that beyond that conversation, I felt the, the dramatic effects of that. Besides being an advocate now and keeping this very important conversation going about breast cancer, you split your time between Boston, New York, as the CEO and president of your beauty empire, Greta Enterprises, with the salon spa boutique Greta Cole, the fashion boutique Greta Lux, and the beauty fashion hotspot G Spa. Where did this passion for fashion come from? This passion came from my aunts, my aunt Kathy, who I think you may remember, she was just such a diva. She always loved it. She was one of those women that really was my greatest inspiration because she was valedictorian of her high school class. She was brilliant, beautiful, driven, entrepreneurial. And, you know, she often talked about in those days how it was hard to be that woman. It was hard to be that and hard to be someone who had all of these gifts. At that moment, it really wasn't a world where women could easily ascend. And she really made it her own journey. She made it very much part of herself to say, I really love being feminine. I love being beautiful. I love makeup. I think taking care of myself and women taking care of themselves is absolutely priority. In addition, I am a heck of a worker. I am smart. I can compete. I can do all of these other things too. And even though the world is not ready for that, that is who I am. And so I had the great privilege of growing up with her. I had an incredible life watching her, listening to her and being groomed by her. So in my life, uh, that was inspirational to me. And I believe that that's how it played out. It became this calling that I had to pursue. Well, you did a lot of do-it-yourself-at-home things. I remember reading about the sun in hairspray. I used to do that, too, to try and get my sunlights. Made a lot of mistakes on myself before I became an expert. Exactly. But at the age of 17, you enrolled at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, and you paid for your education by sewing on labels on garments in the evenings. But you left before graduation to follow this entrepreneurial spirit. And I love this trajectory. By the time you were 24, you had opened your first salon. At 26, you added the spa. At 31, your first high-end fashion boutique. Ten years in, you had a retail empire that was worth more than $10 million. And you have said, hey, not bad for a kid who started out with nothing but an imagination and goals. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That is an amazing trajectory. But I also know. A few years ago, you graduated from Harvard Business School's OPM program. I had the opportunity to audit one of those classes because a friend of mine was going through the owner-president management program. It is quite an accomplishment to get accepted and get through it. What did you learn that took you and your business to the next level? The number one thing I will never forget that I learned, and there's so much more. I had cold feet, Liz. I thought, who am I? I should not be going to Harvard. Like, what was I thinking when I looked at my classmates from all over the world, the businesses that their families were in, what they were running, some of them were already MBAs. They had already attended Princeton and Yale and Columbia, and they were coming to this program next. I completely freaked out. I said to the director, Jackie Bauer, I called her up. It was, I think, two weeks before the program was to start. And I said, Jackie, I think this is the wrong fit. I honestly think this is over my head. I'm in the beauty fashion space and a business I'm so proud of, but I'm self-made. I didn't go to business school. I'm seeing now that many of these people 
have and perhaps the language, the jargon, you know, the, the base knowledge, all of the all of the education that they have had previously is probably going to leave me feeling very lost. I mean, what's the point? Maybe I should do something else. And she said to me, no, you need to think of one thing, though. You do need to think on one question. Are you ready to work on your business instead of in your business? Because you will need to change your entire frame of reference because you are a CEO who has come up doing every single job in the business, which is why you're successful. But there comes a time where, especially now, where you're at the crossroads, you will not be able to build stronger, better, and more unless you are willing to shift and grow into a different position and a different way of looking at yourself and your business. I returned to her and I said, that's a challenge and I have to take it because I see exactly what you mean. Thank you for asking me that question. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, you've had many accomplishments. You also have a book. Your first book was called Style and the Successful Girl, and it was published back in 2013. And as of this recording is 2023, we're talking 10 years later. What's changed in regard to advice or tips you gave back then to today? What I would say now is that if I had to go back, I would have made it a volume one because at 35 or 40, my content, my knowledge, my expertise that I dumped into that book would work for any generation, anytime right now. But at 50, life changes, you change. And so it's time to evolve again. Every single thing you did earlier was the right thing to do. But what we can't do is get pigeonholed or stuck in certain routines and certain rituals and beliefs that don't accommodate our growth. And and that's the beauty of it. And for a long time, Liz, I was really stuck. Like, what is this second book going to be? Am I going to undo everything that I did in the first? But you're, yes. I mean, I just can't believe that it finally occurred to me. No, that isn't it at all. It's really about now moving into that next phase and sharing what I've been doing these last 10 years. All of it's worked and I can't wait to put it down. I can't wait to get into this next book. Well, one of the things that I loved about the first book, which I think absolutely applies to whatever books you write, you're not going to preach unrealistic rules, bottom line. And that is so important for every woman to remember and even men to remember. There are no unrealistic rules. Okay, you continue to share all of this wonderful, fabulous fashion sense on The View, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Rachel Ray, I know she's a good friend of yours, many other shows, and we are all very grateful for that. As you also continue your advocacy work around breast cancer awareness, what does living your best life mean to you today, and how has it changed since your diagnosis? Living my best life today is really being focused on my own health. And I definitely feel physical and mental are to be considered and managed equally because they are equally as important. I believe that for many of us who are career women like yourself, I've watched your incredible success and your story. I was right there to witness it and to be so inspired by it. But there does come a time and there comes wisdom and even through breast cancer, this realization that we need to be really tender with ourselves. It does not mean that you can't be as successful, more successful. It shouldn't mean that, and it doesn't. And I think we need to block that noise. We can take care of ourselves. We can pursue and have all of our dreams come true. 
And so that is where I am today and having the confidence in that and also waking up every morning because we don't always wake up on the right side of the confidence (laughs) bed and reminding myself through meditation, through that first activity, whether it's walking around the reservoir here in New York or, you know, when I'm in Boston, really taking those deep breaths, looking around and having gratitude and appreciation for the years behind me, as well as the years in front of me and really seeking quality. That is what it is about for me today since having breast cancer. I think that's the big aha. Beautifully said. If you want to learn more about breast cancer, I encourage you to please go to findthecausebcf.org. That's findthecausebcf.org. Their entire focus is on all the environmental causes of breast cancer. To learn more about Greta and her beauty empire, all you need to do is go to gretastyle.com. And we will have both links for you in our show notes. Greta, thank you so much for joining me today. And first of all, being brave to share your very personal story about your diagnosis of breast cancer and the work that you are now doing to help educate so many people all around the world as much as possible. I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. I loved being here. Thank you so much. Get your mammograms, stay on time and take care of yourself. That's what's most important to me. Absolutely. And thanks to all of you for listening to this very important episode. I encourage you just as Greta did, take your own health into your own hands so that you may live a long, healthy, best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.